Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. And uh, if you're watching on the NRB Network, DirecTV, Channel 378, or listening on KUTR AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you. I have uh, some very dear uh, friends right here next to me. They're going to introduce themselves. This is... Hannah. Hannah, and this is her sister... Emma. Emma, and they are, come all the way from the town of... Like, it's kind of by St. George. Kind of like by St. George. And um, they were sharing something very interesting with me, their favorite food. Hannah, will you tell the audience very loudly what your favorite food is? Corn. Very good. And then, Emma, what's your favorite food? Egg drop soup. Egg drop soup and corn. Delicacies in Springdale, Utah. So thank you for coming on. Now, I have two other guests here that are a little bit older versions of uh, these girls. I want them to come on. These are dear friends of mine, and uh, I'm having them come on for a reason because uh, this is a kind of a, a touching thing. These are the twins. This is Kelsey and Crystal Webster, and they are, they've been in the ministry for a long time. Their dad and mom help, and they have helped with many things over the years. And there is a sweet partying that's going to go on because, where are you? The one <laughs> hugging me right here, this is Kelsey. She's going off to college, full ride scholarship to play softball. And she, this is her final show tonight. And her twin sister, they've been together the whole time, who was also offered a full ride but declined. She has other intentions. Uh, she's staying here home. So I just wanted them to come on and say I love them. And we're so proud of them and grateful for them. All right. Thanks, girls. Heart of the Matter can be seen. In oh, we also have a great group visiting from Acton, California, the Crown Valley Church, so we welcome them. <laughs> they weren't prepared for that. And our program is dedicated to the Sawaya family uh, tonight. Um, listen, Heart of the Matter can be seen anywhere through, from uh, streaming video. Uh, go to www.hotm.tv and click her up and you'll be able to watch it anywhere. Every week, folks, every week, God willing, we get together on Sunday afternoon to study God's Word. Uh, Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. What else are you doing then? Calvarycampus.com from times and directions. Then while you're driving in from 1 to 2 o'clock, 
uh, you can tune into AM820, The Truth, and hear replays of the program, Heart of the Matter, on that station. It's the only station I listen to when in Utah. Check them out and learn the Word of God. Upcoming events, September 4th, Saturday from 5 to 9, Burning Heart Revival at Bountiful City Park. Special musical guests, uh, Adams Road. We're going to have food, open water baptisms, a come to Jesus message. And, uh, you know, Subway is going to offer a four-course meal, four courses, chips, cookie, sandwich, and drink, four for four dollars. It's an amazing value for anybody who wants to come. So you can come and, and have your uh, food needs taken care of. Bring a fin, bring an enemy, uh, but bring your own chairs and your own blankets uh, if you're going to join us. Then that's Saturday, September 4th. And then on Thursday, September 9th, Weber State University in the Ogden area. God Uncomplicated is partnering with Weber State University's, uh, University's InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship to host Ignite the Heart back to school rally and i'll have an opportunity to speak there it is free it's available to all college-age students and so you can go to www.goduncomplicated.com to get more information and learning how to register a really quick review uh, for the ministry and its websites um, we've got your bornagainmormon.com bornagainmormon.com tells you everything about the ministry what we stand for, what we believe, the differences. It's what started it all. Then you have HOTM.TV. HOTM.TV is where you can watch 230-plus hour-long live shows from 2006 to the present on any topic you can think of relative to Mormonism. Then we have CalvaryCampus.com where you can learn about our weekly Bible studies and wherever they're going on. And because of the amount of content we have tonight, uh, we're going to, with that, go to uh, prayer. <clears throat> oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, need you and seek you. Seek your spirit to be with us now here in our audience, uh, live and studio audience, um, our viewing audience out there in TV land and throughout the uh, world, actually, Lord, through streaming video, and we thank you for that. So help me to say the things that are of you and the things that are not. Let those evaporate and, uh, or, be, or stand corrected and uh, help us to reach people for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We know from the Bible that in end times, but with God's approbation, Satan is going to establish his own unholy trinity. Uh, we have a graphic here to show you what the trinity looks like, and we've talked about this before. We have the Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. But the unholy trinity... Uh, you can see we have Satan, who has always longed to be prayed to, and Satan, who has always wanted to be worshipped, trying to replicate the Father in that unholy trinity. And we have a guy named the Antichrist who is going to come to try to replicate what the Son did. And then we have the beast, or the false prophet, uh, who will try to replicate the doings in, of the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus was the Messiah, or in the Greek, the Christos, or the Christ, the unholy trinity is going to provide the world with an antichrist uh, or a man who is antithetical to everything Jesus was and is in his uh, flesh, glorified or, or not. This is very interesting because where Jesus was humble and meek, the antichrist will be proud and extremely powerful. 
Uh, Jesus was powerful too, of course, but in a different way. Jesus was the truth. The Antichrist is going to be wholly deceptive. Uh, he is going to be a living lie. And Jesus, it says in Isaiah, that he was not handsome or beautiful, that there was nothing that men would desire of him. And the Antichrist, they suggest, is going to be extremely attractive physically. And where Jesus said the Son of Man has no place to rest his head, the Antichrist is going to be very affluent and very materialistic. And then Jesus was not political at all, at all. And the Antichrist is going to be very, extremely political. And then Jesus and everything he did glorified the Father, where everything in the end that the Antichrist does is going to glorify Satan. Now, using the things of this world, remember that line, by the powers of the God of this world, this Antichrist is going to deceive many many people to their absolute destruction. And he will succeed in doing this by using the elements of this fallen world with more power and persuasion than we could ever imagine. And all of that power is given to him fully by Satan himself. Now, prior to Jesus leaving earth, he said something very important relative to our topic tonight and the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus lets us know a couple of things here. He lets us know that the world has its forms of peace and that God has his form of peace. One peace from above, one peace from this world. Of all the questions that we receive in this ministry, one of the most asked by Mormons and Christians alike, amazingly enough, is how can I know the truth? How can we know God's truth? When you think about it, there is possibly no greater question for a seeker to ask or understand because getting it wrong can open you up to all kinds of misdirecting influences and counterfeits. Our topic tonight in the long list of this year's alphabetical topics is knowing, meaning how do we know God's will? How do we know the truth? Let me take a historical walk and biblical look at how God has operated and communicated with his creations in the past. God always operates according to his ways and his rules and not ours. And to keep things simple, people are often under the impression that because God did something one way at a given time, he will do the same thing at the same time uh, uh, and that's just not always true, that he's always going to do this this way. He doesn't. He does things in different ways, as we see. So because he spoke to Moses from a burning bush, it doesn't mean he's going to do the same to you when you step out in your garden tomorrow morning. OK, and here is where the uh, biblical context plays an important role. In the Garden of Eden, God spoke directly with Adam and Eve. No prophets, no scriptures to reference, no intermediaries. God to man because God resided in man known as Adam and Eve. But man and this world that we inhabited fell into sin and the direct relationship that we had with God in us ceased. Okay? 
Long story short and skipping the family patriarchal times, God then began to speak his specific will and communications to specific men and women called prophets and prophetesses. And he commanded that the words of these prophets were written. And they were compiled into what the Jews call the Torah or what Gentiles call the Old Testament. And the, this book or these books, collection of books, are considered sacred. And those writings were trusted and reverenced and were the guide for God's covenantal people. Uh, if it was written, it was obeyed by those who loved God. Simple as that. So look how the Jews even reverence it even today. So then God stopped talking and the writing stopped too. And this period is known as the intertestamentary period. And it spans the time between the end of the prophets in the Old Testament, about 400 years to the coming of John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, okay? That intertestamentary period was silent. There were no prophets speaking. There was nothing written, okay? And then God began speaking again through his son. And still no writing was done, but witnesses called apostles who were gathered by the Lord himself learned from him to testify and teach everything that he said and did. Uh, well, some will say they didn't write until dozens and dozens of years after Jesus died. That is true. But Jesus told those special witnesses as, rec as recorded in John 14, 26, he said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Once Jesus died, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit did in fact bring all things to their remembrance. And these witnesses wrote, just as the prophets of old wrote, and what Jesus said and did. And just as the, apostle, uh, as the prophets of old wrote the words of God that were given them of the Holy Spirit, and these words were considered scripture, Old Testament, so did these specially appointed apostles write about actually seeing the word of God in the flesh, and they reported all he said and did, and their words were considered scripture to us today, right along with those in the Old Testament. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 makes this really clear. It says, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Well, you may wonder, how did God speak to people between the time that Jesus died, the apostles are sharing now, and all those years before the words of the apostles were shared and written and available to the masses? This was a transitioning time, and a time when the Old Testament was converging in, uh, out, and the New Testament was coming in, and the change of administrations was not a quick or easy one. So God, the Holy Spirit, manifested himself powerfully in those early days of Christ's church. As a result, there was a marvelous outpouring of his spirit. Outpourings which are still available in the church today, uh, but these outpourings guided the church with the living apostles directing as what would be allowed in, in Christ's church and what would not.
On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, as promised, descended upon the apostles and many others with them, and this magnificent work was manifested in Jesus' name. People were healed, many spoke in tongues, the dead were raised, the Holy Spirit ignited the world with spiritual fire at this time. Visions were had, spiritual feelings were tremendous, and the fire from God rested strongly in the hearts of these members of Christ's body. Remember the church, the good news was not only new, but those who were accepting it were being killed and martyred. And so nothing short of the Holy Spirit pouring down and really filling them up, imbued them with the power and the courage to move ahead amidst these conditions and this persecution. At the same time, these apostles were writing letters to the churches as they were getting established. And they were um, deemed instructive by the churches, and then they were carefully reprinted by the people in those churches who were used to having scribal tendencies because their whole history was filled with people doing written records and copying those things. And then they would take great care to replicate this scribal process and duplicate the letters that the apostles were writing to the churches and exchanging back and forth. And then as the apostles were, were killed off by persecutions, the letters remained. And they became the, an additional guide, excuse me, to the churches along with the Old Testament and along with the Holy Spirit, which was now on earth. In time, the letters were authenticated and accepted by faithful leaders in the body, and they became standard while other writers' writings were considered dubious. They did not meet apostolic succession requirements. They didn't fit with the Old Testament, and they were thrown out. Were manifestations of the Holy Spirit still possible? Uh, most certainly. Did believers sense and feel direction from God on high without question, just as we do today? But by the time the writing of the apostles were collected as a body, the feelings and promptings and inspirations and revelations of the Holy Spirit by individuals were put in check by what the apostles, the first-time witnesses of Christ, had said and uh, what was written by the prophets of old in the Old Testament. If the claims of an individual went counter to what was already written by the Holy Spirit, those claims were rejected and the manual or word of God took precedence. The apostles' words, listen to this, the apostles' words that were written in those letters, they had to be checked against the words that were written by the prophets in the Old Testament so that they weren't validated if they didn't match up with what the Old Testament had said before. Did you know that? Did you know that the apostles' letters had to meet with what the Old Testament said, just as our spiritual inclinations have to meet with everything that's been written before? Now, we have original manuscripts that from all these letters that almost completely the Bible as a whole dating back to about 200 AD. The LDS claim that the Catholic Church came in and they took away the plain and precious parts of, the, of these manuscripts and now we have a Bible that is fallible. What they don't understand is the Catholic Church officially didn't really get going until 400 AD. We have manuscripts that verify the whole of the New Testament and of course all of the Old, uh, 200 AD. So the Catholic Church couldn't have come in and taken out plain and precious truths because those manuscripts we have from 200 AD are completely exact with what we have in the King James Bible today. 
So the plain and precious truth bit about the Catholic Church coming and, and bastardizing the Bible is a complete lie. All right. But as organized religion took over the world, the word of God and the spirit of God was certainly quenched, and, but not extinguished entirely. Believers were not wiped off the face of the earth completely. The gates of hell did not prevail uh, against the cause of Christ. Uh, nevertheless, the word of God was found wanting and we entered into the dark ages. But, and it wasn't until the advent of the printing press when the Bible was put again into print and into the hands of people for the first time that the Holy Spirit began to have access in conjunction with the written word to work on people. And as the word of God was made available, this Holy Spirit began to thrive again. And we call this age the Reformation. And it was uh, the study of the word of God along with the Holy Spirit working afresh that illuminated the hearts and minds of many. Today, along with promptings and feelings and directives of the Holy Spirit, believers take the word of God in hand, we read it, and we let this combination of his spirit and his word work their work. Uh, which always testifies that Jesus lives, that he is our king, and that we are saved by him. The testification of scripture, if I can use that word, is about nothing else. The Holy Spirit and the scripture does not testify of, of whether a man here on earth today is a prophet. The Holy Spirit doesn't t testify of those things. The Holy Spirit is constantly reaffirming Jesus who God is, what our source of salvation is. Okay, the Holy Spirit would never teach against words he brought into the original writer's minds that we find in the Bible today. You're not gonna have a sudden inspiration that says, hey, you need to have pink hair to please God and we not find it in the Bible. If the pink hair prophecy was true, then we would find it in the Bible. Otherwise, you have people coming up with all sorts of promptings and, and, and then they say it's not in the Bible and so then they justify uh, that thing. So how does the manual work? First, scripture interprets scripture. We use all scripture to understand the rest of scripture. And um, this is, uh, keeps the body of Christ in check. If you have someone stand up and say, I am a prophet, I am a, an apostle, I have a new revelation, I have a word of wisdom, uh, I have this or that. We have the manual God has given us by firsthand witnesses and prophets. We open it up and we say, let's check what you're saying against his word. But uh, mesmerizers and con men and mystical women staring in crystal balls have popped up all over. And they use tried and tested deceiving tools to get people to say, there's better ways to know God's truth. Let me introduce to you what those are. First, they say they convince people that they have a special connection to the heavens and to angels and to spirits and even to God himself. And then they claim the Bible can't be trusted when it counters their special revelations. They say, I've had this revelation. If the Bible doesn't agree with it, well, you really can't trust the Bible. This is part two of what deceivers do. And then they state that by following them and their special version of the truth, they will reach higher states of enlightenment. These higher states of enlightenment are big with these charlatans. And finally, they'll tell people that they 
can know what they are doing uh, by the feelings that they have through these promptings and through this mystical experience which transcends what the Bible says. These are the four elements that charlatans use to, dis- to ke- teach you things they want you to know and not what God wants you to know. Finally and typically, usually the charlatans will come along and they will demean Christ. At some point in time in their ministry, they will demean Christ or they will even say they are as necessary as Christ himself. Okay, so we come to Mormonism. Founded by a man known for first getting people to trust him, then to get them to question the veracity of the Bible, then to rely on feelings to know the truth. And this man, Joseph Smith, built an entire religion on feelings, but not as God gives, but as the world gives. This is a warning to you from one who has been there 40 years. Mormonism's epistemological foundation, that means how Mormons say you can know, is emotionalism. All right? The very element the world employs to convince people. Watch any influential Hollywood film, listen to any moving music, read any touching story or piece of literature, and you will find the peace that the world gives, uh, even the power of Antichrist, uh, which is as the world gives, and it's emotionalism, it's materialism, it's the things of this world. Rudolf Hess, Adolf Hitler's first deputy, stood before a large audience of Nazis, and he said this, I quote, Do not seek Adolf Hitler with your brains. You will find him with your hearts. That's emotionalism, my friends. That's why Albert Speer, his architect, erected these giant, beautiful mausoleums, so wealthy, so grandiose, and you walk in and you're inspired, and their music would be so loud, and Hitler would talk with, and everybody would rise up and go out and kill Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and artists and intellectuals because they used emotionalism to drive them rather than reason, okay? So it was with uh, Jim Jones, so it was with David Koresh, so it was with Joseph Smith, and so it will be with the Antichrist. This is trusting in feelings and the peace that the world gives. Tears do not convey truth, my friends. Facts convey truth. The human heart will always hear what it wants to hear, and it will always see what it wants to see, and it will always embrace what it wants to embrace, even over God's will, because the human heart is naturally selfish. So if you have somebody tell you, you will have your family with you forever, if you go and do what we say you need to do and go to the temple and pay your tithe and do all these things, your family can be together with you forever. And emotionally, they touch you with songs about my family's here on earth and all this stuff. And they get to your heart that way. You'll read where Jesus says, hey, there's no marriage. There's not, they're not given in marriage in heaven. And you will say, I don't trust that. I trust this idea that the charlatan's given me because it makes you feel better. Okay. This is especially true when our hearts have not been changed by the Holy Spirit. Objectivity is nearly impossible when emotional, when emotional issues of personal security, your job, your family, your marriage, your children, your wealth are weighed in the balance, your social standing. Our flesh clings too strongly to these things, and Satan knows it. Add in the proud LDS notions that you can become a god. Add in the proud LDS notions that... Um, 
you can procreate for an eternity if you do everything that Joseph Smith said. And it's pretty tough to overcome those emotions that tell you you know truth rather than what God's manual says otherwise. As a result, the show is, that we do here is very painful for people who are LDS to watch or listen to. Uh, they, if their resistance could be honestly articulated right uh, over the phones or here in person, they would say, I don't want to hear the facts you present because I really love my ward. Or they would say, I don't like your show because I love my job and I need my family. Or they would say, I don't like your, uh, you as a person, Sean McCraney, you're a liar and you dress weird and your shirt is open because I can't stand the idea of losing my eternal marriage. My eternal marriage, Joseph promised that I could have. And Mormon feelings of good reign over the facts God makes plain. Okay, a number of years ago, we had a caller call in. I'm not going to rehearse that because of time. It's a little bit long. But Mormons lay claim to subjectivity, subjectively knowing truth by their feelings and inclinations. When confronted with God's word, the LDS flee to several defensive positions. One, the inability to trust God's word. Two, they have the additional scripture which takes over. We have the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, Modern Day Revelation, which teaches us differently. So when they read God's word and it doesn't jive, they automatically say we have other things. And then they go finally to their testimony. Okay? They say, I got to bear you my testimony. It's a fail safe. And... Their claims often delivered through tears that they know the church is true, that they know the prophet Joseph Smith is true, that the Book of Mormon is true, is not one bit more validating than my testifying without tears that their religion is as false as my grandmother's teeth. They can do it with tears and they can say it's true and they have a testimony of it. I can say it's not true and we are both correct standing on this premise of how we know. Okay, there, something else has to be there. Facts and truth are irrelevant to the Mormon mind because subjective feelings which support their false knowing is all that matters. Okay, so God gives us many ways to know him. He gives us his nature. He gives us the cosmos. He gives us science. He gives us history. He gives us the biblical record. He gives us our minds. He gives us reason. He gives us his spirit and above all, his written word by which we use as a manual to see what is true and what is not in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. He does not give us fables and myths. He doesn't give us feelings that tell us that a book is true. The Bible never says pray about the Bible to see if it's true, to see if the Holy Spirit will manifest feelings. That was Joseph Smith's trick. Golden tablets, unseen, tears, soft music, oboe music, uh, commercials now, the commercials that they're coming out with. It's unbelievable that the things of this world, the peace that the world gives that they're reaching out to try to get you with instead of just the facts. From the book, The, Trist the Twisted Cross, Hitler himself said, quote, reason can treacherously deceive a man, but emotion is always sure and never leaves him. But God says, come, let us reason together. You want to know the truth, you want to know God's will, read the word and the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus will show up with reason. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
Let's go to the phones. 801-973-8820. 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS, if at all possible, turn down thy TV sets. We're going to do a spot for partners. We've got We've got all kinds of LDS people, people from all over, and questions waiting. Come back and join us then. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And, but what we want to tell you is Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs. And by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chose, chosen called TV is very expensive and we need you to help us stay on the air. So there are ways that you can do it and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So write this phone number down, 888-868-4686. You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888-868-4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host, in spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right. But we need you, and if he inclines your heart and you're interested, please contact us and help us keep the program on the air. God bless you. Welcome back. Venice wants to know, uh, scroll that up. Venice wants to know how you were able to be LDS so long and seem so strong in your faith then, and now you are even stronger in your faith as a Christian. How did you get the inspiration to leave? Uh, Venice, I didn't have the inspiration to leave on my own. I was a faithful, driving Mormon, and uh, because I, I really want and have always longed to know truth, but inside I wasn't right, and it was literally the Lord coming in and changing my heart that gave me the ability and time to leave. And uh, I am fortunate, I praise God for the fact that I came out into a relationship with Him. So many Latter-day Saints come out because they just don't uh, believe Mormonism anymore, but they come out to nothing, and we have the, what you find a lot here in Utah is just atheism, nihilism, uh, drugs and alcohol, and live for today and tomorrow you die. And, and I was fortunate because I came out through the inspiration of knowing the Lord is true. He saved me in my sin, and that helped me see the falseness of Mormonism. Why I was so ardent as a Latter-day Saint is I cut my teeth on it from the time I was in the cradle till I was 40 years old. I did the mission. I really tried. I really tried, and it just didn't, it just didn't take. This has taken and uh, been with me for 10 years plus now. So let's go to Benny, uh, a girl on line two. Benny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Waiting for to speak to Sean. Well, you've got it, Benny. I'm on. You're oh. on the air. Oh, hi, Sean. This is Bernie. Um, there was a letter in the Tribune that really bothered me. A letter to the editor. Yeah. And it had to do with the Proposition Eight. And I know there's a large uh, community of gays in Utah. Uh huh. Um, 
a heterosexual wrote this letter to the Tribune. Uh-huh. Uh, I know that Proposition 8 is at the feet of uh, Utah. Yeah. I'm not for Proposition 8, uh-huh. and I'm not gay. And with our uh, um, with this activity, only brings our world closer to what Jesus tells us as uh, what we're going to prepare for in the future. Uh, in the letter, it, uh, let me quickly read it to you. How long is uh, it, Bernie? It's not that long, hon. It's not that long. Uh, uh, it says here, Proposition 8 is a dis- judicial activism. All right. Uh, first, nowhere in the New Testament is gay marriage mentioned and little about homosexuality. Secondly, sexual orientation has multiple causes, and including generics and uh, hormone levels during the fetal development. Thirdly, many churches do not oppose to gay marriages. Uh, The Constitution answers that the question clearly says no one. We have separation of church and state. Um, That bothered me. That's why I'm calling. Give me an answer. Well, what bothered you most? Uh, that there's, uh, it's not mentioned in the Bible. Oh, homosexuality. Yeah. Well, you know, homosexual marriage not mentioned in the Bible? I mean, that would be like saying uh, a, a, a man shouldn't marry a squirrel in the Bible, too. I mean, it would, uh-huh. just, be, it would just be endless in, in the directives of what should and shouldn't go on if right. it was an exhaustive book. But right. let me tell you something. Homosexuals can get married. Uh, they just can't marry men. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta marry uh, a, a woman. Uh, marriage is for a man and a, and a woman. That's what marriage is. But homosexuality is is no different in terms of a sin than the sins heterosexuals commit all the time too. And I think they have become the whipping boy for the world because they're more active and outspoken. But you know, they should be in church just as much as I should be in church. Or, Actually. Yeah. So, and I think the LDS Church, I think any church that makes it their political forum is mixing up what we are called to do as Christians. But that's my... So is it mentioned in the Bible or isn't it? Homosexuality, sure. Absolutely. I know. I know. I I read the Bible and I I know it's there. Yeah. How can, can, you know, how can they say that? Well, he's just saying homosexual... He said homosexual marriage is not mentioned in the Bible. That's what he said. Right, right. Okay, we got to move it on. Thank you so much for your call. God bless you. Bye-bye. And uh, it's too late to tell her to turn down her TV. Let's go to Jack and Logan. Jack, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. You need to get some soft oboe music for your uh, your holds. Really? Yeah. Hey, um, I'm not a first-time caller, but I just recently had my name removed. I uh, abandoned ship. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. My wife did it. She she jumped a few months before I did. But. Awesome. Hey, um, according to Mormonism, I, well, I was just wondering, I, I want to hear your take on it. Wouldn't Jesus be a false prophet according to Mormonism? In, wh- in yeah. what way? Well, if, if a prophet, if a single prophecy of a prophet is proven incorrect, that makes him a false prophet, right? Right. Well, in... Peter's confession of faith, when Jesus says, Peter, you are the stone, and on you I built, I, I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. So if there was a need for a restoration of 
um, Christ Church, wouldn't he be a false prophet? Well, if you took the, the Catholic way of interpreting that scripture, yes. But uh, it wouldn't, he wouldn't be a false prophet because the, the way you interpret that scripture, in my opinion, is that uh, Jesus follows that up with flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this I will build my church. The word stone, Petros, is a little pebble. It's not a big stone. So he wasn't saying, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, uh, in my opinion. And I think most Protestants and, uh, would agree with me on that. But so oh, I, 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 in terms of yeah, the I'm argument, sure. I don't think it would work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have Jesus have actually said Cephas, right? Yeah. Not Petros? Yeah. So he wouldn't have said, yeah, Pe Petros would mean little stone. Yeah. But Cephas, does Cephas mean little stone? I don't know. I don't remember. I'll have to look. But I know Petros, Peter, his name's Simon, and he gave, was given the name yeah, Peter. Yeah. So I know he was meaning, if he was talking about him, he wasn't talking about a big building it upon Peter himself. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Thanks, Jack. God bless you. Okay. Way yeah. to get out of it. Okay, bye. We're going to Tony in Canada. Tony, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, uh, Sean. Hi, Tony. How are you? I'm doing well. How uh, are you? I'm fine. I, uh, I'm a, I was a Mormon, and about two months ago, I left the church, and, and uh, I was glad to find your program on TV. Oh, praise God. Because it helped me a lot in the process, and uh, even now I feel like uh, there's an emptiness in life, you know? Yeah. I, I was a member for 38 years. Wow. Why did you walk yeah. away, Tony? Well, I found some evidence uh, of uh, of the uh, uh, pearly great price, and I couldn't justify it being uh, being true. Yeah. So, in the the way Mormonism is set up, uh, if uh, one thing isn't true, the prophet uh, Joseph is not a prophet, and everything falls like a house of cards. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that. Uh, you know, I had to follow my my conscience, basically. Uh, I couldn't remain a member and be true to myself. So what are you doing now? Well, I'm trying to find uh, find myself. I, I, I believe in, in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Praise uh, God. Hey, Tony, will but, you stay on the line and let us get your uh, address and we'll send you a book, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, and it might give you some insight on uh, what to do now that you've come out and where to look. It's, it's just a book, but, uh, you know... I would counsel if we could get that to you. And then if you read, if you just open up to the, the Gospel of John and, and start reading and praying and say, God, open my eyes. I've listened to men my whole Mormon experience and it's been a mistake. I need you to show me. Yeah, I certainly will. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I find myself alone, you know, and I, I talk to my former friends and they all seem like they treat you like you don't exist anymore. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And most people who have ever left the Mormon church have experienced that. So uh, yeah. once you're not in the club anymore, they strip off your hat and you're gone, you know. But you just keep going, my brother. And will you stay on the line so we can send you that book? I will. Thank you very much. And keep, keep it going. I really enjoy your shows. Thanks, Tony. Hold on. Okay. Uh, you got to hear this quote. This is from uh, the Ensign 
Magazine, H. Byron Richards, Remember the Teachings of Your Father, November 2004, talking about feelings, okay? This is guy was a mission president. This is what he said. I recall an experience with his own leader in England who came to me during the lunch break at his own conference. He said, we are teaching a lady who is blind and nearly deaf. She wants to know if the Book of Mormon is true. What shall we do? I did not have an answer at that moment, but I said, I will let you know after our conference. During that afternoon session, I had the distinct impression come as to how to help her. After the meeting, I said to the zone leader, have this sister hold a copy of the Book of Mormon and turn its pages very slowly. When she has done this, have her ask if it is true. Though she could not read nor hear the words, she felt the spirit and power of the Book of Mormon and it changed her life. Well, now that is called subjective uh, uh, feelings, huh? That really is. I don't know how those elders were teaching her in the first place if she was blind and deaf, and then they came to find out how to convince her of the Book of Mormon, but nevertheless, maybe they're doing it through wrappings or something, but this guy says for her to, I don't know how they conveyed to her to do it slowly. I don't know how they told her to do this. this these stories are so funny, but that subjectivity of feelings. When you invite the Mormon missionaries into your house and they, they teach you a lesson and then they start saying, now, do you feel it? I can feel it. Elder, I feel the spirit very strongly here. Do you feel the spirit? I feel the spirit too. That is telling you in the Book of Mormon, it says, pray if these things are not true and the Holy Spirit will manifest it into your heart. They talk about a burning in your bosom to tell you about this truth and it's wholly subjective. So by doing that, they can convince you that polygamy was right, that Adam was God that black people should not hold the priesthood. All of those things can be manifested as truth when you sit there and you sense and feel it this way. It's a complete lie and it's a deception. We're going to David in Ogden, second time caller. Uh, David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, um, yeah well, I wanted to say to you, Sean, uh, to point out to the, to the viewers there um, that in the Book of Acts that in, and in a lot of uh, Paul's teachings, he... He, if they said he would go to the synagogues, or the, you know, or, or, as was his custom, and he would prove or teach, like a, I don't know if I'm saying the word right, the, the Bereans or the Bereans. Bereans, yeah. And, 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 but not just them, but he would prove. And so, yes, we're saved by grace, but the Mormons or the ODS, they need to understand that Paul told us, and, and you know more, I'm sure, about the, what I'm talking about here. Uh, you could probably pull an exact verse up. But he said, you know, everything I'm teaching you basically is I'm proving proving things by the Old Testament up to that point. Yeah. You know, that's all they had, what we call the Old Testament. Yeah. So, you know, for the life of me, I don't understand why the LDS don't do that. Because, I mean, the Bible says to do it. And quite frankly, they're not going to like to hear this. But, and I have a lot of LDS friends, but it's just being purely gullible not to do it. Yeah. And they you know, need to know that Paul said, you know, test all things. Yeah. So I'm going to get off the air, and I'm going to let you elaborate on that. And Sean, you keep up the good work. And Sean, by the way, a few weeks ago, that was um, me that called uh, and said that my dad and I donated to your ministry. And it didn't really come across. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the way, it wasn't that, no, we're not going to do this anymore if we can't talk. Oh. Um, that it was like, yeah, so it wasn't that. 
Okay, no, no, David. We wouldn't leave you, brother. We thanks, wouldn't leave you. We thanks, like you. Thanks for your insights, <laughs> man. I appreciate the call. Okay, thanks, Sean. Yeah. I appreciate your ministry. Okay, thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Hey, uh... What was he talking about, Paul? Listen, that's really interesting, too, because Paul was teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bereans in the book of Acts. They went and they researched, it says, the scripture. They searched the scripture to see if what he was saying was true. What scripture were they searching? The Old Testament to see if what Paul was teaching about Jesus Christ was true. So that shows you how the Old Testament is all a preface to who Christ is and what he does. All the, op the lines are full. The operators are cleaning the calls. But uh, Hans wrote and said, enjoy your show regarding episode 228. That was last week, Joseph Smith in the Bible. Sean, at the beginning of the show and nearly the end of the show, said that Joseph Smith was born in 1806. In fact, Sean even corrects a caller that said Joseph Smith was born in 1805. Joseph Smith was born in 1805. 1805. Please look it up anywhere at all. And honestly, this is a very significant mistake to be made by someone that was Mormon for 40 years, a rather astonishing mistake. Sean should correct himself on the show ASAP and also show uh, respect by apologizing to the caller that was correct. Joseph Smith was born in 1805. Okay, so Joseph Smith was born in 1805 and uh, I made a mistake and it is not the first and it will not be the last. Look at I am a talking donkey. You know where I got that 1806 from? Let me just tell you. On my mission, I was taught in 1820, Joseph Smith was a 14-year-old boy living in the state of New York. I can still remember the, the discussion, all right? And so in 1820, Joseph Smith was a 14-year-old boy. You subtract 14 from 20, I got 1806. It was just a, it was a mistake. Hans, forgive me. I make mistakes. I'm, I, I'm not an impressive person. So I, 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 let's just forgive each other. But I really don't think it's that big a deal. I don't care if the guy was born in 1906. He was still a liar. Okay. <laughs> let, 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 let's. <laughs> All right. We're going to go to Maury in Salt Lake City, a first time caller. Maury, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Is this Sean? It is. Great. Hey, uh, I've thought of, uh, you know, going another direction here, but. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of concerned about my family. I got, uh, I've had four kids and a uh, wife, and uh, you know, we've, uh, I've been quite an influence on them all their lives as far as, uh, you know, blessings and this kind of thing. I, I was just wondering, you mentioned some time ago that you were the first one to leave the LDS church, and then you're whole family followed. Is that right? My wife and daughters, not my brothers and sisters or parents. Well, I mean your own children. Yeah. Did you, do you think they would have left if, if you had them? You know, I don't know that. Uh, my children are independently minded, and uh, yeah. it's, it's quite possible. Uh, my daughter, my middle daughter, says yes, she would have, but I don't know. You know, the fathers are in, play an important role in the parents. Yeah. So uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I would think that they would probably they would have a much had a much better chance of staying in had I stayed in and faithfully pursued it. Right. Now, did you ever did you ever give your daughter a blessing or your wife a blessing or anything? Sure, gave them blessings, baptized all of them, conferred the the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Ghost, as they called it. Uh, I did sure. everything, you know. But you know what, Maury? I got to tell you. If you go out and you trust God, 
and you trust him to handle your family even better than you did, he will. But it really takes, I mean, you're put in a really tough position because I know you don't want to uproot everything and it's scary. But yeah. God will bless you if you follow him. Do you, do you believe that any of your blessings that you gave on your wife or your daughter uh, were effective when they were sick or depressed or feeling down? Was there any efficacy to your uh, priesthood blessing? You know, I don't know if there was or not, but I can tell you this. Uh, God hears all prayers. And uh -huh. I don't believe because somebody is beguiled in using something called the priesthood, it doesn't mean that their heart is crying out to God to help them. It doesn't mean God isn't going to heal. It just wasn't by the power of that priesthood. So I don't personally remember healing anybody uh, in my family, but I know God answered prayers for, for betterment and for health and for peace. But I think that would have come whether I was a Hare Krishna or whatever. God hears his creation's prayers. Now, would your, do you believe if you uh, told your wife you'd kind of had a, uh, a turnabout and you wanted to go back to the church, that she'd just follow you back in like she followed you out? No. No, there's no turning back for, for Mary. She uh, knows the truth. She's a born-again Christian, and she has put her hand to the plow, and there's no turning back for her or for me. Well, you can't. Yeah, but you can't, you can't predict another person's uh yeah pass. you you can't but i can i can sort of guess strongly yeah now one last thing is you mentioned one time that you thought god was just a ball of fire well not a ball right? <laughs> uh, well uh, i do believe he's a consuming fire that's scriptural all right now what what about all these people uh from, you know, 2000, 3000 uh, B.C. to throughout that uh, uh, seen uh, uh, God, the, the brother Jared, or who saw the finger, who was that, or whatever. Um, where did the finger and all this could just kind of comes out of the, the ball of fire? Or no, remember Christ, Christ, there were Christophanies, and when God appeared in uh, the Old Testament, there were times when we wonder if it was Christ himself. Daniel saw the Lord walking through the fire, uh, you know. Uh, so in terms of that, uh, I don't know how God appears. First of all, yeah. the brother of Jared is fiction. And so uh, I, oh, I don't, is it? that's fiction. But in, yeah. in any case, uh, God has, no man has seen God at any time. And that's scriptural. Yeah. And that's from the mouth of the Lord. So I don't uh -huh. think the burning bush, I just don't think that men are looking at God, even though they claim that. They might see apparitions of him. They might see manifestations yeah. of him, but not God. So Moses was just seeing a, a burning uh, a bush on fire or something. Well, that's what it said. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I really well, appreciate it, Maury. God bless you. All right. Thanks, thanks so much. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Joe, who is a girl from Ogden. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, Joe. I, I have a silly question. I am not LDS. I am a Christian. I believe that the Holy Spirit is within us. However, I do have friends of all walks of life and all religions. I am meeting with one Thursday night as a favor to her because she's got missionaries coming over. Okay. My, my question is, 
how do I handle it without offending her or them? Well, you know what I would do, Joe, is, uh, of course, you're going to pray and you're going to turn it to the Lord. But I would try to talk about salvation, what Jesus means to you, and just keep it on him. Just what the Lord Jesus Christ means to you and how you are saved and what you have done to be saved and what you haven't done to be saved and sin and how it is a reoccurring theme in the human existence and how yet you, even though you might still fall and have sin, the Lord is always there to save you from that. And just talk about Jesus and make that the center point and it will probably uh, uh, help you in not offending, at least at this first meeting, and to plant some seeds for Jesus in, uh, in the future. Well, this, this woman that I'm, I'm doing this favor for, she's a good person, and she is LDS, and I don't want to, it's not cast dispersions, I don't want her to doubt what she feels is her faith. Because she is content and happy, and okay. her entire family is Mormon. Okay, but you know what, Joe, content and happy, uh, that is not a reason not to share truth. You know, you really need to, I'm not saying at this setting, but you, you cannot be afraid of upsetting her life because it's happy. You need to, she needs to hear the truth. And that's, that's you know, the, the Mormon church is built on creating happiness. It's the happiest place on earth. It's like Disneyland around here. And, <laughs> and, and yet, it doesn't mean it's true. You know, the dwarves are not true. And, and so true. it's a fallacy and it's a fiction. And while, so while they paint this picture of everything's fun and happy, they're getting their reward here. There's an eternal reward that's better. And what did Jesus promise those who followed him? Persecution, suffering, difficulty. It's a different gospel. And so, yes, you're going to introduce to your friend, Joe, something that is going to make her life more difficult in the long run because we are at war with the world in the sense of how it works and what, how it operates. But Jesus Christ, stronger is he that is in you than him that is without. And so you need to let her know that there is something that eternally will carry her into joy forever, even though right now she's fat, dumb, and happy with being a Mormon. <laughs> I, will, I will try to do it as tactfully as I can. It sounds like it. God bless you. Talk to the Lord and let him lead you. Thank you very much. Don't be bye afraid. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. We have, we have all kinds of calls. I wish we could go on. Uh, we're going to go to Ann in California, first-time caller. Ann, you're on Heart of the Matter. You only have one minute, my friend. Hi, uh, Sean. Um, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and um, you were saying things about Jehovah's Witnesses on a show in 2008 that we uh, go off of feelings. Uh, when you're saying that Joe's witnesses go off feelings and Mormons do too. Yeah. Um, we don't. We never thought that Charles Sage Russell was a prophet. You didn't? I didn't think that. No, we don't think he was a prophet. He never claimed to be a prophet either. Neither did Rutherford, and um, I don't know his first name either. And what else do I want to say? Uh, they never tell us to uh, see how we feel about something. They never said that. Watchtower never says that. The Bible never says that. And we don't think about going off feelings. And well, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Wait, one more thing. It seems like you can't say a Mormon without saying Job's witness. Like, not you, but just like in life. Yeah. Well, you know, they have a lot of parallels, though, unfortunately. And I want to know, why do you believe their interpretation of the Bible? Uh, we accept all interpretations of the Bible. Uh, if you know, Job's witnesses was founded on the King James Version. Okay, you're just giving me PR now. We only got six seconds left. Call back again. We'll have a good discussion. We're out of time. Sorry. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Mm -hmm.